Hello and welcome to Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crime. We're your hosts, Jill. Gracia. Dave. No, you're next. <laughs> Don. Steve. And special guest Star Trek. I reject that. I just reject that out of hand right away. <laughs> uh, so it's the guest part or the star that, part yeah, that you reject? Or the special part? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which one of those? We're all special needs here. <laughs> Every single yeah. one of us. <laughs> but Steve did learn how to plug in microphone, mm, mic headphones true. today. That really, was good. I really do wish we would have videoed that. You got to push and screw. Push and screw. That's what she said. <laughs> all right. So let's get it rolling. Sounds good. Do we start with the drink? All right, guys. So today we did the Ice Queen. You're going to find out that we're doing Nancy Kerrigan today. So... I wanted to do something based on that. And this was a drink I had had in a bar in New York. And then when I Googled it, it actually was born in New York at a Lower East Side uh, bar. And a famous bartender did it at, um, I looked it up, it's the Nightcap Bar on the Lower East Side. And she kind of made this drink famous. It is a summer spritzer is what they usually label it as because it does have wine in it. Uh, let me tell you the ingredients. They are white rum. Uh, top with Prosecco, a little creme de menthe, but really it's like nothing. That giant bottle I have is going to last me my lifetime. A little bit of lime juice, um, some simple syrup, and a lime uh, twist. But you are before you do any of that, you have to muddle some cucumbers. So that's step one. And then this is served in a coupe glass. Do you know what that looks like? It's like a little, um, almost like a martini glass, but it has like a weird lip to make it look fancier. And usually there's like, mm. I see some cucumber pieces in mine and... It's supposed to be light and refreshing, you know, yeah. a different spritzer rather than a regular spritzer. What does everybody think? Good. I, like uh, I am not a fan. <laughs> nah, it's yeah. disgusting. <laughs> I don't say it's disgusting. It's sweet. It's, it's sweet. very it's sweet. Very sweet. Yeah. yeah. Well, it has the simple syrup in there, and I could have not put that. And I did in our drinks use um, skinny stuff, so I do think they have that um, sweet and low taste to it a little bit than the ones yeah, I've had before. Yeah, I'm a like, fan. I'm a fan of sweet, so I like it. Yeah, I think it has a little sweet and low taste because of the diet lime juice and the diet um, simple syrup. But you're supposed to use fresh lime juice. But God, I'm not doing that today. <laughs> yeah. I think it's not bad. I was prepared to hate it because I don't like like cucumber water. Yeah, I was afraid I was going to get too much cucumber, but no, it's pretty good. Excellent. I liked it too. I I do think it's a little sweet and low tasting for my for the last time that I had it, but. Not a big deal. Um, and I also did for the mocktail, I was at Neshoba Winery. Um, I'm sure you guys have all been there. It's a great winery if you haven't, check it out. And in their store, they have like a non-alcoholic section, and they had these little mocktails, which are margaritas. And the girl said that they were delicious, so I bought them for everybody to have one today. I know we haven't really cracked them open yet, but maybe towards the end we could give Neshoba a little review on how good they are. They are $12 for a four-pack. Um, so, I mean, pricey, but not too pricey. I mean, if you're having a Super Bowl party or something and you have some people come and you don't want to have alcoholic drinks, it might be mm -hmm. a fun alternative. Cool. Mm. All right, Dave. All right. So today's story is called Why. It is about Nancy Kerrigan, who was born October 13th, 1969 in Stoneham, Massachusetts. She was the daughter of Daniel and Brenda Kerrigan. Daniel was a welder and Brenda was a homemaker. Um, she ended up with two older brothers who were both very avid hockey players. So when she was six, she would begin skating. She was very talented at it immediately. 
and she began winning contests by her uh, by age nine. She began ranking in the junior U.S. Figure Skating Championships when she was um, a teenager, and she um, was ranking very high by the time she was eighteen. She qualified and competed in the Olympics in 1992 and was, was preparing to qualify again in 1994. But as she finished practice the morning of January 6 and made her way towards her dressing room, sudden agonizing pain came over her. The pain, which would have radiated throughout her leg, well into her back, forced her to the ground and came without any warning. A cowardly thug had struck her from behind with a collapsible baton. She would not have even seen him coming, and the pain she felt left her screaming the simple question, why? Why would anyone do that? That was so funny. I know. I remember her being like <laughs> yeah. this huge blubbering mess. <laughs> why, why, why? It became a meme later, which yeah. is, yeah. I mean, cruel, but everybody yeah. could picture that moment. Mm. So, yeah, it but, probably hurt, but and yeah, she was well, a victim, it, so it we would, should probably be nice. It hit her right in the sciatic nerve, so, I mean, that would I mean, really hurt. <laughs> so, but there is no way that the first words out of her mouth were not fuck. No, they were yeah. why, because it was all on camera. It was, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you could hear it right away. She was like warm ups. She, she, she was in like warm ups, right, or something. She, she is a princess. She was well. She had just finished her practice routine, That's right? Right. And she was coming. She was making her way back to a dressing room. She stopped to talk to one reporter, and as we'll learn a little bit later, the person who assaulted her had um, reporter credentials, so she wouldn't have even thought anything of him. Because um, he was wearing a normal credential. So she walks past him. She kind of goes down the hallway. And he just came up from behind, pulled out a collapsible baton, and hit her once in the leg with it. So she would never have even seen him. Uh, like, this this all happened very quick. So. Super stealth. Just as an aside, um, do you know why peanuts don't walk in bad neighborhoods? Why? So they don't get assaulted. <laughs> 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 Uh. <laughs> Logan would so love Jill that. is filling the honorary role of dad this week. <laughs> I'm sorry, he said I the word. that was pretty good. Thank you. <laughs> the dad said it was pretty good. <laughs> anyway, yeah, she, I don't think she cried out or I, like like screamed. She just was like, "Why? Why? Why?" Yeah, I mean so that weird. was yeah. I think she realized right away she had been attacked. And she was like, why? Yeah. You know, she and, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about it um, later. What, what should she have done, Jill? How? Oh, I how? I don't know. Who, well, what, has, when, where, why, and how? Here's the thing. <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb and guess somebody's hit you at least once in your life. <laughs> was the first thing. One time too many, clearly. Maybe you were like, ow, instead of or, why. Or fuck. Yeah. Yeah, what the fuck probably would have come out of Like, what the, yeah. how did that happen? Like, I would look around because I fall into I'm not a profane person, but. What? <laughs> <laughs> you do know what profane means, right? Yes. <laughs> but to understand the answer to the question why, we have to understand the people who were involved in the attack. And that involves, of course, Tanya Harding. Now, Tanya Harding to this day, denies that she had knowledge of the attack prior to it happening. We'll take a look at Bullshit. that. Excuse me. <laughs> we'll take a look at that, and we'll take a look at her side. I, I will give you what her side of the events are, but, um, you know, it's, 
I, I don't believe her, but, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that um, later. But regardless to whether or not she had prior knowledge, the story really starts and surrounds her. Um, Tanya Harding, uh, Tanya Maxine Harding, was born on November 12, 1970 in Portland, Oregon. Her family was poor. Um, her mother was extremely abusive, and her really skating was the only thing she ever did that gave her a sense of belonging. Poor, her, like trailer trash, poor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were they were dirt poor. Yeah, her mother, her. We'll, we'll talk about her father just right now, and then her mother was basically a waitress at times. Yeah, um, and they were. Like, I I remember when they showed like her home and stuff. I feel like when you say poor, you picture this like. It's it's a wide variety of people. Mm. They were broke. I yeah. Mean. Yeah. So this isn't just that they have only a small widescreen TV and. Yeah, probably no TV. I mean, mom yeah. was, I mean, crazy. Yeah, her father, by Tanya's account, was a loving father, but he did not. Um, he seems like a very just dysfunctional person. He couldn't hold jobs for very long periods of time. He primarily did mechanic work, but he was frequently, you know, getting fired or... Wasn't he a heavy drinker, too? I know he was he a heavy was a hunter. He was a very heavy drinker, heavy hunter. Um, in fact, he taught her hunting. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he, it just... he Everything I've read about him, he's just a person with probably a very low IQ. And just kind of really dysfunctional person. Um, but he, according to Tanya, he was at least caring for her. You know, um, he taught her to smoke pot and stuff like that, like all parents should. But, and he taught you know. her how to, like, uh, after the kill, take things apart and make clothes out of it. Because yep. she made a lot of clothes out of the skins of his mm -hmm. dead animals. Yep. They yeah. had some nice stuff in their house, though. I remember seeing on the... They had the felt... Jesus and then the felt Elvis Presley. Yeah, next. this is what I'm saying. Like, I feel like uh, when you say poor, you gotta like clarify. Like, if yeah. we showed a picture of their home, they it's... made an art piece out of crushed beer cans that was really astonishing. <laughs> I mean, it, uh, In the yeah. movie, I Tanya, the mother is played by the uh, what's her name, the mom that, that um, from Juno, and she always has a bird on her shoulder. It is fucking funny. Yeah, that, I like that she movie. Have a bird on her shoulder. Cause it's just showing how like weird she is. She's very eccentric. She's a little out there. Like I don't know if you remember the interviews in '94 with her mom, but you right away felt bad for Tanya for that reason, not not any other reason. But like this woman is the woman who's on your side. Yeah. And yeah. So Tanya's mother was extremely abusive, both psychologically and physically. Um, Tanya would often be hit um, right at the skating rink. Um, so she, she was very openly abusive, uh, physically to Tanya. Um, her, Tanya had a half brother, um, and his name was Chris Davison, who Tanya said sexually assault, uh, would sexually abuse her. When Tanya was 16, the police were involved with the family and they put Chris Davison in jail for a period of time for sexually abusing Tanya. Um, the parents, did not believe Tanya about this. Um, and this caused even more rifts between Tanya and Tanya's mother. You're um, kidding. But so what basically happens after he gets out of jail, Tanya and him still have uh, back and forth, um, you know, uh, hostilities towards each other. He died in very mysterious circumstances. He was run over um, in a hit and run accident. However, the police have um, 
you know, never believed that Tanya was in any way involved in that. So, you know, who knows? But she was never considered, she was originally considered a suspect, but then cleared. So, um, Tanya's skating career um, was, uh, began at a very early age. At three is when she began figure skating under the direction of her mother. Um, her mother, even when Tanya was very young, would physically punish Tanya if she did not perform well. Um, and she, uh, by the time she was a teenager, she Can you go back to that for a minute? I heard a couple crazy stories, and I don't know if they came up in your research, but that when she was three, her mother like begged people to get her on the ice, but they wouldn't let him on until five because that was like the age that like you could start training. But her mother was like, no, I'm going to start training her at three. And mm -hmm. at one point, her mother had paid like some ridiculous amount of money for someone to give her ice time. And Tanya had to go to the bathroom, and she said, no. Like, I've paid for you to have an hour. And Tanya ended up peeing her pants on there, like, at, at the age of, like, four or five. Yeah, Tanya. She invented a new spin. There was, um, there were the definitely <laughs> several stories about that. Um, you know, with things like that, you never know how true or untrue they are. Um, so, <coughs> excuse me. Where, it speaks to a level of abuse, if any of that is oh, true. Oh, sure. You know? Um, where Tanya generally did most of her training though throughout her life was kind of in this um you know it was like a mall that had a we're going to talk about this a little later anyways but it was like a mall that had a skating rink almost um so yeah i don't know what their rules were um her mother was definitely not one to follow rules um she didn't care um, if she was told not to do something, she would just do it, you know, so. So she picked figure skating for Tanya, but why? Like, was mom a figure skater? I mean, I wouldn't, when you think about professional sports or, you know, athletes that get paid a lot, if that's what you're doing to your child, I don't think I'd pick figure skating at yeah, all. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if she, her mother herself was a figure skater. I tend to doubt it. She didn't seem like she had any athletic abilities whatsoever. Um... It might be the elitist part of it because they say if you don't have money, like, you can't be a figure skater because of the, a all of the money that goes into the private training and the, like it's like thousands of dollars a month rather than other stuff like you the costumes are millions of dollars you mm -hmm. know like it, it is expensive so I think it's like an elitist sport that she wanted her daughter in I'm not sure but yeah, they had to mortgage their trailer a few times definitely well I mean her mother would hand sew the costumes and then Tanya would get made fun of oh yeah, yeah. because her mom. Yeah, made it and then she would compete and they would kick her out because the costume wasn't of regulations like tanya had a lot of yeah, heart, we're, we're gonna we're gonna get into that oh sorry so, yeah yeah not i'm not defending her so we just spoil the plot <laughs> yes, you are. it sounded like you were defending her no 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 i just looked into this case a bit before this because so, yeah. i actually thought it was the this is one of the cases that i thought there are two sides to every story you know the, yeah we're gonna we're we're definitely gonna talk about tanya's side so and starting right now, Tanya, by her teenage years, was head and shoulders above any skaters in the area. Um, she was competing uh, both locally and nationally. And the problem she had was being a better skater was not generally enough to get her the scores that she felt she deserved. Um, she was often scored lower due to present presentation issues. We'll talk about the, we already kind of mentioned, like she'd have handmade costumes and stuff like that. But there was, to some extent, to be fair to the judges, 
Tanya was the author of some of her own problems because she had, like, Tanya liked to kind of flaunt that she didn't have to work as hard as everybody and she could still be better. So Tanya would be, she'd finish her skating routine and she'd go stand next to the rink and light up a cigarette. You know, um, you know, she'd do things like that. She was provocative. She'd pick songs that, you know, were a little bit racy. Yeah, she um, got lost points for Too Sexy a couple of times. Yeah. So, and she would, you know, before she right came. Right Side Fred song? <laughs> exactly, Steve. Can you imagine ice skating to that? Like, there's no... What was it? I missed that. The um, Too was, Sexy? I'm Too Sexy for My Shirt. Oh, yes, yes. You are. I am. That'd be hilarious. So, yeah. And she, so, I, I mean, it, she, she liked to be provocative. That was definitely something. But then there were certain unfair things. Like, Tanya liked to wear her hair shorter when she was a young teenager. And a lot of the judges felt she looked like a tomboy. So they'd kind of take off points due to that. Well, it's, you know. I think some of the notes were like less attractive. Like, yeah. Oh God. Well, I can tell you as a cheerleading coach, where presentation is also on the score sheet. Like, um, they're not really fucking around with that. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's, but it's not necessarily like you're ugly or you're fat. But it's how do you hold yourself? What is your demeanor? You know, like, are you wearing makeup that is appropriate and flattering, and at the same time not overdone or taking away from whatever and any coach in my opinion whoever her coach was that's worth their salt wouldn't let her lose points well we're going to talk about yeah we're going to talk about that she wanted to be herself yeah so her um harding's mother talk about that oh today it sounds like they've already (laughs) talked about it all no i i assume david's going to talk about that that was her main drive like i want to win this as me not as somebody else yeah her coach and her um had a lot of um back and forth tanya was tanya was a defiant person i mean that's something about tanya and she was defiant in part because of her mother um you know but you know and her mother would actually and this is true they show it in the i tanya movie her mother would actually pay people before she'd go on the ice to hackle her now, Tanya would respond. So right before she's coming on the ice, you're seeing her, you know, tell the, you know, half the fans to go suck a dick. You know, I mean, <laughs> she would. It's like her mother paid people to like bash her and be like, what? Yeah, and yell. Yeah, they would them. yell like you look like a two dollar whore. I mean, and these she stuff paid were not nice. Do it. Yeah. And so Tanya being in part, she was a teenager. So she was just reacting like a teenager would react to something like now, that. How do you think you apply for that job? <laughs> like, is it like on LinkedIn? What is she paying? Facebook like, Marketplace? Like, was, uh... I would like to be someone who insults a teenage girl. <laughs> right? How for horrible money. is that, yeah. right? Can you imagine going to the street like, hey, you got anything to do? I'll give you a hundred bucks if you go call my daughter a whore. <laughs> like, <laughs> just keep yelling it under five minutes. You're in yeah. and out of there. Just call her a whore a hundred times and make it loud and i thought you said they were poor but that that is yeah i don't have enough money to pay people to insult my kids oh no this mother like they were poor but she she worked like extra shifts to pay for tanya stuff so she thought tanya was going to be her breadwinner you know like those moms Uh, that like mm -hmm. so she felt this was an investment for her future well that's what i mean like why pick (laughs) figure skating because it's not like you see like figure skaters uh Shilling Nike or anything, even yeah, we're in Olympic talk about season, the money, you know, yeah, like too, yeah. 
But yeah, I mean, figure skating isn't uh, extremely wealthy sport by no, any stretch. No, not at all. Um, you know, and it was gaining popularity, but you know, basically in figure skating, as we're going to talk about a little bit later, anyways, if you didn't like win the Olympics, you're not getting huge endorsements. You know, so I mean, that's basically how all Olympic athletes make most of their money is through endorsement contracts, right. but. You know, it was like we'll talk about later. Harden came in fourth in the Olympics, so there was no, you know, it wasn't Nike anything. Right. You know? yeah, so it's like, knocking. yeah. And nobody liked her persona either. She wasn't getting anything. Yeah. Yeah. And Tanya's mother had encouraged Tanya, another good mothering um, uh, move, she told Tanya she needed to drop out of school because she wasn't spending enough time figure skating. Um, so Tanya quit high school. Uh, people do that for cheer, even today. Yeah, it's, I don't are nuts. know. Yeah, they quit school for to, to, yeah to for cheer. They move yeah. across the country. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, Tanya's basically spending all of her time at a mall. There's a riffraff that hangs out at the mall by the name of Jeff Galuli. Jeff Galuli was born September fifteenth, nineteen sixty-seven. He was a fairly unpopular person. Um, he was also poor. He frequented the local rinks where Tanya Harding practiced. He met Tanya after practice one day. She was about 15. He would have been about 19. Neither had really many friends. Tanya was obviously, um, you know, her whole life had been figure skating, um, and she'd just been told to drop out of school. So she really didn't have a way to make friends. Um, the only people she associated with were the other figure skaters who Tanya um, obviously competing against and, you know, would be kind of bullying too. So. He was, um, he was the guy with the stash, right? Yeah, he has a must. He's a goofy-looking motherfucker. Mm. He is one fucking weird-looking dude. His mustache is great, Steve. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. That's what I. That's what I remember. <laughs> yeah. He, he looked like a '70s porn star yes. slash child molester. Yes. Like. Yes. Both yeah. vibes going on. It's a good mm -hmm. look. Yeah. So, um, but Galuli, when he first meets Tanya, of course. You know, he realizes there's this young lady, nobody pays any attention to her. He kind of showers her with flattery and stuff like that at first and begins dating her. Um, Tanya turns 18. Uh, largely due to her relationship with her mother, she decides she's going to move in with Jeff. By Tanya's account, Jeff almost immediately became abusive to her physically, even worse than her mother did. Um, for the record, Galuli does deny that he ever abused her, but there are men, many police reports, there are many witnesses. Um, Galuli did physically abuse Tanya for years, and it was a horrible abuse. Um, you know, leaving her unconscious, tried to shoot her once. Um, you Black know. guys that she had to cover up, and yep. then when, one time she was skating and her face was too much makeup, yeah. it was because he beat the fuck out of her and she put more makeup yeah. on. Yeah. So, but they took off points because she had too much makeup on. Maybe uh, he got paid by the mom. <laughs> you know, it, it's actually possible. It's actually possible. <laughs> I miss hitting my daughter. Can you do it for me? <laughs> Motherfucker. Tanya's skating career was having its ups and downs. On technical merit, if you went just by can you figure skate? Tanya Harding is probably the best person on earth at the time she's 20. 
Um, she is, however, again, she's not scored well because she has attitude problems. She doesn't present herself well. And her coach and her are often having arguments uh, about this. Now, as depicted in I, Tanya, and it is a true story, Tanya had finished a skating competition where she really outskated everybody but did not win. She got really mad. She runs over to the judges and starts berating the judges. Um, the judges kind of lash back a little bit, and she told one of them to go suck a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Chicks got spunk. <laughs> she did. She's classy. So she's in the dressing room, and her and her current coach had a big fight. And Tanya she landed said, something crazy in that competition, like something like that nobody had ever landed. Yeah, ever. She, and yeah. she landed triple, it, and she still lost. So the triple axel comes later, but oh. yeah. But she, in that competition too, she had done something that nobody else had done, and so she's like, that alone is going to win me this competition, and she didn't yeah. win it. Yeah, she could do things that nobody else could do, and that was clear. Like, if you just went by, can you skate? She's better than anybody. Yeah. You know, and that Pure was... Pure talent. Yeah. yeah. Um, Did you think she was better than Kerrigan? Yes. Okay. At, at, the, at this point, yes. And we'll, we'll talk about how her skating kind of falls off because she gets into drugs. But at this point, and we'll talk about the triple axel in a few minutes, uh, she's doing things that no one can do. Not, not Nancy Kerrigan, nobody on. In fact, um, well, we'll get into the triple axel in a minute. But, yeah, at this point, she's better. Um, Dottie Teachman becomes her coach. Now, Dottie seems to be able to kind of get Tanya under wraps a little bit. And she, Tanya does start changing some of her outfits. She does stop yelling at fans. And, like, she starts acting a little bit more mature. She's not perfect, but she's definitely making improvements um, under Dottie's coaching. Dottie also really found ways to up Tanya's talent. In 1991, on February 16th, there was a U.S. championship contest. In this contest, Harding will become the first woman and um, in the U.S. and only the second woman in history to complete a triple axel in a competition. In the same year, in Skate America, she would complete two triple axels in a single competition. She's the only person that's ever done that. And then she became the first person to complete a triple axel in combination combined with a toe uh, loop. To put into perspective what the triple axel actually is, you're skating kind of backwards at an enormous rate of speed. You're going to jump way up into the air, spin around three times, come down on your opposite leg, and um, basically it's, it's so hard to do that almost nobody, male or female, will even attempt it even in the Olympics. It wasn't until 2018 Olympics where a woman had actually done it on the Olympic stage. Um, so this is a very rare, you have to be head and shoulders above anybody on earth to even to even want to try it in a competition, never mind to actually do it. And she pulled it off twice in the same competition. Did she score well? In those ones, she did, and that's what got her into the Olympics. So once Dottie 
started getting involved with Tanya. Tanya cleaned up some of her act, at least in front of the judges. And Tanya was making her own money now, so now they were yeah. buying costumes. Not uh, yeah. So, um, but her personal struggles continued. Her drinking and drugging was really getting out of control. And this would start having an impact on her performance. And so she goes to the Olympics in 1992, but she's drinking, she's smoking pot, she's um, eating even worse than she always did. Now, she's an interesting Olympic athlete. She had a horrible diet, you know, and she basically lived off a of pizza and beer um even at 12 you know that's like pizza and budweiser is her diet and somehow she becomes an olympic athlete but as you get a little bit older in your late teens early 20s her metabolism's changing and she can't get away with that as much um so her skating kind of takes a little bit of a downfall and in the 1994 Olympics, she did attempt the triple axle, but she didn't land properly. Um, so she still scored relatively high in the 94 Olympics, but she finished fourth. Um, and finishing fourth meant that you are not going to get any huge endorsement contracts or anything like that. So she's basically back home broke failed to do the triple axle, and she basically thinks, you know, my skating career is over. But as luck would have it for her, the Olympic Committee decided to hold the next Olympics only two years later. So, as opposed to usually it's every four years. So, she basically realizes she can, she has another shot at this. Now, Harding starts to compete again, and again, her technical merit's fine, but she's feeling that she's outperforming her opponents and not getting the score she deserves. According to Tanya, this is something that's depicted in the I, Tanya movie. She confronted one of the judges in a parking lot, and he basically... Because she's saying, well, listen, I've cleaned up a lot of this. My costumes look a lot more normal and stuff like that. But at this point, she's divorced from Jeff. Um, and he basically tells her, you're just not, you're not wholesome. You're not who we want. You're, you're a young girl who's been divorced. You're, you know, you're basically trailer trash. And we don't like you and we don't want you. That was a sad moment in the movie. When yeah. I watched that, I felt so bad for her. She's like, I'm doing, I'm trying to cross all your boxes. I've been working on myself. And he goes, I don't care who you were, it's who you always are. Yeah. And that's basically what he tells her. Did and that actually happen? Yeah. Well, yeah. according to Tanya, it happened. Now, no mm -hmm. judge has ever confirmed it. But at this point, Tanya and Jeff are divorced, and she has a restraining order on him. She decides, really, run of the mill. I'm going to lift the restraining order, I'm going to get back together with Jeff, and I'm going to make him my manager so he can be seen with me. This is a lot of her defense to the whole, I didn't have anything to do with this part. We'll talk about that after. But, um, but according to Tanya, it's like she wants to look like wholesome Tanya with wholesome, happy husband who... Once she's finished winning this Olympic medal, she's going to go bake them cookies and become a baby dispenser. I mean, this is what she's trying to present at this point. So she does 
want it seems at this point she wants to do the things to win you know she should change her name tanya is a trashy name (laughs) tanya with the o is trashy right tanya with an a she's she's with an a my grandmother's name was tanya no it wasn't (laughs) i don't get it (laughs) so at this point the attack is going to start being planned. And as I mentioned, Tanya says she has nothing to do with it. We'll get into that in a minute. But let's talk about the other people who were involved. We've already met Jeff Galuli. He's a physically abusive, basically a walking pile of shit. And he still is, too. Um, he had very few friends, but one friend he did have since he was a small child was a young boy by the name of Shane Eckhart. And Shane Eckert um, frequently told people, even the press when he was first arrested, that he was a counterterrorism expert, a survivalist, and that he had worked for the CIA. This guy's the best. Yeah. These claims aren't actually true. Go back and Google those interviews he's talking yeah. about. Super funny. It is funny. It's, it's really like, you know, he's sitting there with, um, oh, she used to be on 60 Minutes. Um, Barbara Walters? No. Um, Barbara Walters? The blonde one? Leslie Stahls. Yeah, Leslie Stahls. She's, um, being, he's being interviewed by her at one point. And, you know, she's, you could tell she just wanted to, like, tell him, you know. Do you really think anybody believes you? You're a fat, like, out of shape putz. Wearing, you like, know? a velour suit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, he was... You see pictures of him. He's just, he's he's overweight. He's really a total loser. And the truth about Sean is that he's just a really dysfunctional kid that can't hold down a job. He lives with his parents. Um, He's not a kid anymore, too. He's in his mid to late 20s by this point. Um, He would frequent, you know, really seedy, low priced strip clubs and sit there and hit on the strippers and tell him he was a CIA agent and stuff like that. So that's who Tanya, I mean, Shane Eckhart basically is. But his make-believe world, um, he found somebody else who lived in the same kind of fantasy world. So he's at a community college, Mount Hood, um, taking a couple courses and he bumps into a guy named Derek Smith. And Derek Smith also claims to be counterterrorism expert, super spy. I mean, because obviously. Navy SEAL. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, super spies spend a lot of time at community colleges, you know, to take up like cooking you know, on their spare time. That's where the FBI hides them. That's what yeah. it is, you know? So they're, um, they actually. Uh, start making a plan. They're going to go to Arizona and open their own counterterrorism training um, uh, facility. It's, it's, you know, they're kind of badass, I guess. Not conventional badass. It's more like, you know, I'm going to dress in a pleather Catwoman outfit and make you say meow kind of badass. But, um, you know. And they look like, like Paul Blart from Mall Cop and stuff. I mean, like, they're not... <laughs> I know, terrorists beware. <laughs> Here comes Meal Team Six. <laughs> Here comes a 300-pound man trying to beat you. You can probably beat him running. <laughs> he will back up your toilet, though. 
<laughs> so, um, but their plans get to have to be put on hold because Galuli needs some help. His lifelong friend needs Eckhart to assault Nancy Carrier to take her out. We'll talk about what their original plans were and how they came up with their final plan. So Eckhart gets asked by um, Galuli to take out Nancy Kerrigan originally, and he believes that means to kill her. Um, and, you know, because he's told, you know, Galuli uh, for years, you know, oh, I travel the world, I have contacts with all these professional hitmen and stuff like that. So, <laughs> so <laughs> gets asked. <coughs> Excuse me. He gets asked to find one of his hitmen to take out Nancy Kerrigan. He says, no, you don't need to take her out. You just need to injure her so she can't compete for the qualifying to qualify in the Olympics. And Galuli's okay with that. So Eckhart decides he's going to ask first Eric Smith if you know he happens to know any real hitmen because... Um, Sean, Mr. Eckhart's hitmen are kind of imaginary, like G.I. Joe figures and, you know, a couple of the guys he saw in, like, Playgirl and stuff like that that he, he fantasized about That being, takes me back. Playgirl. Takes <laughs> <laughs> you my back, God, Steve. Steve, you and your porn. <laughs> but, um... So they didn't have any real hitmen, and Smith didn't want to do it himself because at this point, Smith doesn't have any criminal record, and he doesn't want to ruin that because, um, you know, the CIA doesn't want you if, anymore if you... That you makes know, sense. Yeah. So the CIA would have a screening process. Yeah, so... <laughs> but he does have a nephew that just got out of jail for stealing cars, so he might not mind having more criminal charges filed against I mean, because once you got one. <laughs> yeah, I know. Once once you got one. You want a collection. Yeah. Shane Stant is the person who would actually carry out this attack. He's the nephew of Smith. And he was basically who um, <laughs> Eckhart told was, uh, told Galuli was his very capable hitman. And he, years of experience in espionage and various other things. <laughs> So, but we'll we'll yeah, talk they were about a soldier of fortune. I remember this yeah. group. Yeah. We'll we'll actually talk about Shane Stan because he's probably the dumbest of them. So, but um, the yeah. So basically, they decide that they're going to. The plot starts where the weeks leading up to the competition, um, which is to qualify for the '94 Olympics. Um, the skating rink Tanya practiced at receives a call threatening Tanya. Gluli decides he's going to hire Eckhart to be Tanya's bodyguard because, you know, everybody be afraid of Fat Boy. You know, I mean, I guess you couldn't really get around him. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> Between the real pitcher and the guy who plays Manai Tanya, it's like a perfect match. It like, is. They're like, just like... Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, Things start going into orbit around. Yeah. <laughs> All that and mass. he has that look on his face, too. It's like, <laughs> you know, no, the lights are on, but no one's home. <laughs> but the um, not only did Jeff 
decide to hire him, it got the wheels in his brain, which aren't very fast, but it got them turning. And he comes up with the idea, wait, if we threatened Nancy Kerrigan, maybe she'd get stressed and wouldn't be able to skate. So he basically runs this by Eckhart originally, who says, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. We'll mail her letters. And so they're going to mail threatening letters originally. But then Jeff decides, well, actually, she probably isn't going to be that scared. Of... And the post office takes like three weeks to get a letter nowadays. Yeah. So <laughs> he decides. Not very effective. <laughs> you, you know hitmen. Why don't we just take her out? <laughs> you know? So um, Eckhart says, no, we're not going to kill her, but we could probably injure her. And he says he knows perfect people contacts to carry out such an attack <coughs> excuse me he wants two thousand dollars for the job and basically gluely smith eckhart all meet and they meet in um uh, residence uh i think it was um residence owned by smith i'd have to double check that but they discuss the plot and they finally come to the conclusion that if they hit Tanya Harding's plant leg hard enough, um, they were trying to break her leg. You mean Nancy Kerrigan? Na uh, yeah, Kerrigan's planting leg hard enough, she wouldn't be able to um, compete to compete for the Olympics. And if, if they broke the uh, her landing leg, she, even if it healed, it wouldn't heal well enough for her to get into the Olympics. So that was basically their plan. Galuli um, has been told about collapsible batons somehow, um, some sort of karate magazine, I guess he, he looked at. And so he knows of them, and um, Shane Stant goes and buys a collapsible baton. They tell... Um, him, they want two thousand dollars to do this, and That's he, cheap. yeah, relatively. I mean, it was ninety-two. You know, inflation wasn't too bad back then. Ninety-four, rather, inflation wasn't too bad. Steve, how much would you charge to break someone's leg with a collapsible baton? Hundred thousand. <laughs> no one's gonna hire you for that. It's just a broken leg, Steve. Like, you're not well, killing the person. But once they do, then I have 100000 you got to also remember that these boys can barely get themselves out of a chair. They're so fat and out of shape. So, this so is, fat. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is like attack of fried green tomatoes here. <laughs> but um, $100,000, really? Yeah. No one's gonna pay. He's experienced. He spent ten grand, maybe. Been with the CIA, and you gotta weigh the risk and you know pros and cons. What are you gonna go to jail for assault? And then it's your first offense. You're gonna be out anyways. Yeah, like, then you have a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> it's an unrealistic number. No one's hiring you. Steve's priced himself out of the market. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Which helps because then you don't have to do it. But wait, how much? How much would you charge to yell profanities at a teenage girl? Nothing. I would never do that. <laughs> really. Yeah. Even if I, even when someone said billion dollars, I wouldn't do it. So you'd break someone you don't know leg. <laughs> For a hundred grand. <laughs> but call someone a bad word. Oh, yeah. no. Unless it was a teenager, then I wouldn't do it. <laughs> He's got a thing for teenage girls. I know. No. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it, it's also important to note 
Harding is not present at this meeting. But so where does Galuli actually get two thousand dollars from? Um, because Galuli doesn't like. Yeah, he's kind of allergic to working, um, so he doesn't have two thousand dollars. But Tanya has been given ten thousand dollars as a grant, um, so she could compete in the upcoming event. Now this is the first time that Tanya's name is going to come up in this. It seems that according to Eckhart, when Galuli gets the money, he gives it to Eckhart and he says, Tanya says this is a great idea. Um, and she gave him the money to get it. So this is the first time we'll hear Tanya's name coming up. Um, Shane Stant will fly into Boston in the first week of January. At the rank where Kerrigan was believed to practice, and I'll get into how he how they get this location shortly. Um, but he parks the car. <laughs> this is so funny. He parks the car in the parking lot of the area where she practices. He notices there's surveillance everywhere in the parking lot. So to avoid suspicion, every half an hour, he turns on his car and moves it over a couple spots. <laughs> So he's not in the same spot. You can't see me. So this is their very capable hitman. Totally uh, different man. But CIA training. <laughs> but if you think that's clever, he it's, actually rented this car with his own credit card. Um, and he basically is sitting there, you know, just in the parking lot for days stalking Nancy Kerrigan. Um, but Nancy wasn't actually in Boston at the time. She was in Detroit, which meant there was a couple problems. <laughs> so the first is that they can't afford on $2,000 to get Stant all the way to Detroit. So they need more money. So, oh gosh. wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute. He didn't, it wasn't $2,000 plus expenses. No, it was $2,000. <laughs> like, Where, is that right, Steve? Is that how it started? <laughs> Are you 100,000 plus expenses? No, that includes expenses. Uh, so, a little more of a budget. Also, I just have one, one more quick clarifying question Is there a window of invisibility every 30 minutes that I've not been told about? Yeah, like, yeah. Why this, did he think? It, 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 this is how low this guy's IQ really is. I mean, like he's just not the smart. Video, the key word, think. Yeah, I mean, no thinking. The video <laughs> would just show thunk. him moving his car. <laughs> yes, I thunk. <laughs> right. no Again, another video anything. that's pretty funny. Like, <laughs> I mean, who does? Okay, who does that? Shane Stant. I guess. It yeah. seems like you draw more attention by the security moving. tape. You yeah. know, you go over the tape, mm -hmm. and you go. <laughs> <laughs> They'll never suspect the thing. It's just <laughs> like, weird. yeah, I know. You you would think that he would actually have just gotten out of the car and stalked her from outside the car. But it's cold in January in That's Boston. True. You know, so, it is cold. So That's you valid. have this car sitting in the parking lot all day for three days in January, and moving over a couple spots, waiting for Nancy Kerrigan to come out, and she's in Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So... <laughs> They have to go back to Galuli for more money. Now, this is where Eckhart says that he has this conversation with Tanya Harding. According to Eckhart, um, they meet up at the rank that Nan uh, Tanya practices at. 
Tanya eventually agrees, and we'll talk about how they got the Boston address in a second, um, to give him, give them the additional money and tells them, you know, stop fucking around, get this done. Uh, and January 6th, as we already talked about, um, the, the attack's going to be executed. Um, Derek Smith drives Shane Stant to the Cabo Arena. Stant has fake press credentials and walks to the back of the rank. Kerrigan had just finished practicing. She's making her way to the dressing room. Reporter stops her, and she um, felt that Stant comes up, drives the collapsible baton, strikes Kerrigan in the right leg just above the knee. She falls. Stant walks past her. He tries to get to the doors of the arena, <clears throat> but... The arena doors were locked. So now the baton's in his hand, but he decides instead of using the baton to break the glass, he'd just use his head. Uh, yeah. you That's using your head. <laughs> so he could have used the baton, but, you know, he, yeah. he used the thing with less purpose, I guess. <laughs> no wonder why he charges $2,000. So he runs out of the building. Was this in the movie? This actually was shown in I Tanya, yes. This is in the yeah, movie. It, it is true. It's what he did. It was super funny. baton there. He could have just bashed through it with the baton, but he's like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> I watched the uh, I Tanya when I was in Wisconsin on uh, UW campus. They do like movie evaluation night. Mm -hmm. So you go there and you watch the movie. It's like eight bucks. And then all the area local newspapers are there. And after the movie, you talk about it. How, how much do you think this is real? What parts do you, you know, are factual? It's actually pretty interesting. So you stay in your seat. They pull up the lights and you have a conversation. Quite yeah. a bit of it, too, is factual. There's a couple things that I would say are not factual. One of them is they depict... Tanya's father leaving when Tanya was a very small child. Um, in reality, he didn't divorce the mother and leave until she was a teenager. Um, so she was much older. So that was one detail that they and were And then he never about. had anything to do with her. Really, no. He had very little contact after that. And I so. did like in the movie when it was conflicting, the other person would say, that's not how it happened. This is how it happened. Mm -hmm. And then he would tell his side of the story. So yeah. there were different sides of the story in the movie. Yeah. So... Hmm. I gotta see it again. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good movie. It is. It's it's fun to watch. It's Margot. Uh, she does a great job playing her. I think. Yeah. So he runs out of the arena, and for no reason, because the cars, like, parked basically beside the arena, but for no reason whatsoever, he decides on his way he should tackle a pedestrian, um, which almost got him caught. So he wastes so much time knocking this guy over. Who has no idea that anything's even going on. So it's not like the guy's chasing him. He's like just walking by and he tackles him. That guy's suspicious. Let's get him. <laughs> so, but they do manage to get away. But in the coming days, police in the Portland area are receiving several reports of a young overweight man. And he's bragging mainly in strip clubs and various other places about being the person who masterminded the attack on Nancy Kerrigan. Um, so the FBI, of course, they're involved in this investigation anyways, and they quickly identified from the description that this was Tanya Harding's bodyguard. So they go over and talk to him, and he immediately just spills everything. 
I'd like he doesn't even waste any time. He's just like, yeah, okay, yeah, you guys probably did catch me because I did tell everybody that would listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> so the great, secret, great secret keeper. Yeah, I mean, it's like one of the things they do teach you in secret agent school is to make sure you tell strippers about your covert <laughs> operations. Because <laughs> I mean, if you can't trust strippers, it's seedy joints in Portland. Who can you trust? Agreed. So. <laughs> So, yeah, he's trying to pick up strippers. <laughs> he's like, I beat up Nancy Kerrigan. <laughs> yeah. I don't have any money to give you, but I beat up yep. Nancy Kerrigan. So he is one of those, like you've heard of him, so one of those guys that thinks the strippers actually like him. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> she gave me her phone number. <laughs> I, I hope they're still going to open that school that they were going to open up. Well, he's deceased, so unfortunately. Oh, is he? Yes. Yeah. So... Um, Sorry, Dad. Yeah. Oh. But so immediately, you know, he gives up Stant, he gives up Smith, he gives up Galuli, and he gave up Harding. <laughs> the FBI contacts Smith and Stant, and they confess immediately, too, and they turn themselves in right away. But Galuli initially and Harding deny having any knowledge of what, what they don't know what these guys are talking about. Um, Harding, though, immediately separates from Galuli again. And Galuli was uh, arrested on the 18th actually for threatening Tanya. But then once he's arrested for something else, he immediately confesses and he implicated Tanya. Tanya would continue to deny knowledge. Um, At first, she denied any type of involvement. As pressure mounts... In the next couple weeks, though, she's going to change her story to say, I had no prior knowledge of the attack. But after the attack, um, I knew right away it was them. Now, we're going to get into that. There's a problem with that because she never met Shane Stan. So, and she knew where Eckhart and Galuli were the day of the attack. So how does she know that? But she says right away she knows she talks to Jeff Galuli. And Jeff basically tells her, and she doesn't report it. So she's basically saying, my only crime was I helped cover this up, but I, you know, I had to cover it up because if anybody had found out that these people were involved, it would obviously get back to me. So that was basically what her story would become and still is pretty much to this date. So is Tanya Harding actually telling the truth? Um, so... Let's look at this. Um, first, let's look at some evidence. Um, we'll talk about first what each of these people say. Galuli accepted a plea deal, and in exchange for testimony against Tanya Harding, Galuli claimed that just before the meeting with Eckhart, Smith, and Stant, he told her that Eckhart knew people who could ensure that Kerrigan wouldn't be able to compete. She wasn't impressed with Eckhart. And she expressed great skepticism that he could get the job done. But according to Galuli, was interested in the job nonetheless and agreed Jeff should at least hear them out. Galuli says that she should hear him out after Galuli has a meeting. He tells Tanya of the plan and that it would cost $2,000. And Tanya did agree to pay 
from the money she received from the investors. He also says that Tanya obtained information. We're going to talk about this in a second about where Nancy practiced and provided it to him. And that was given to the attackers. We know this is actually true. So, but we'll get to that in a second. Eckhart also directly implicated Tanya as being part of the original plot. It said, as we mentioned, that when he wanted more money, it was Tanya that he had the big argument with to get the additional money. She gave him the extra funds and told him to stop fucking around and get this done. Now, Smith and Stant both say they never met Tanya directly. So, but it was, they were under the impression she was aware of the attack, but they never actually had direct contact with her. Um, however, there's very strong evidence that Tanya was involved. And this is testimony that comes from a news report, a uh, reporter by the name of Vera Morano. In December, Tanya calls Verano to wish her a Merry Christmas. Then Tanya says she needs her to settle a bet. Tanya asks then about the location of where Nancy Kerrigan would practice and train. She also inquired whether or not Nancy owned property at the Cape. This is where Vera actually told Nancy about the location in Boston. Um, Tanya, just a couple days later, of course, Shane stands at that location. Um, to make matters worse, when the FBI searched the Galuli Harding residence, they found in the trash a handwritten paper. This had all of Kerrigan's practice location and schedule for the week of the attack. So this is where she got the um, assault in Detroit. A handwriting expert confirmed that this was Tanya's handwriting. Um, so she is the person that knew the whole training schedule. Well, obviously, these fucktards couldn't have done it on their own no. anyway. They, they <laughs> no. definitely needed assistance. He would have, like, called the stripper been like, hey, do you follow yeah. Nancy Kerrigan? Do you know where she practices? <laughs> do you know what Christ. Boston is? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, they went to Boston when they should have gone to Detroit. Yeah. Evidently, so these people were fucking... Wow. Yeah, but it was because of Nancy. So Nancy wasn't clear enough with the reporter when she... She just asked, where does Kerrigan train? So that's what the reporter told her, where Kerrigan normally trained, not where she was practicing that particular week. So um, Harding insists that the first call was made really to settle a bet. We've never heard who this bet was with. We've never heard somebody else come say, oh, yeah, I'm the one that made the bet with Nancy. But the problem, the was bigger... for 100000 by any chance? Uh, Steve. Yeah, Steve. Where were you? <laughs> so I was in high school. <laughs> so, um, but the handwritten letter, she's never given, she's just evasive on any questions about that, like the handwritten schedule. Um... This is also important to also remember. Kerrigan and Harding were actually friends at the time. So when they had gone to their first Olympics, they ended up roommating together. Um, and Nancy and uh, Tanya got along very well. In fact, Kerrigan really kind of, in some ways, almost admired Tanya. Because Tanya's this person with these kind of unique abilities. She knows how to rebuild an engine. You know, she can make her own clothes. Like, to her... To Nancy, Tanya was a very interesting person. 
And so Tanya could have just called Nancy and been like, hey, where do you train? Hmm. So she made this call to a reporter with the intent of Nancy not knowing she was trying to find this information out because she could have gotten it right from Nancy if she wanted to. So um, that that's to me, I, you know, there's really no explanation other than Tanya got this information um, for the reason of the attack. Um, but it's worth, let's share Tanya's side of it and what she says. Tanya says she was good friends with Nancy prior to the attack. We already said that this was confirmed by Nancy. And that she would never have had her friend attacked. So this is part of Tanya's defense. I'm kind of going over what Tanya says. She also says that after talking to the judge, she decided to change her presentation. She says that what she, this is why she brought Jeff back into her life, and she wanted him to be the manager so he'd be seen with her all the time. And she says that you know she believed that she could get back into the shape where she could do the triple axles. She'd just do that at the Olympics, and there's no way she wouldn't at least win a silver. Um, so I... <laughs> You know, and that's, I, I can't argue with her on that. She did make those steps. Um, and she, you know, no reason to believe she couldn't get back into shape to do the triple axel because she'd done it before. So, um, but still, I mean, it, it just doesn't explain why she knows Nancy's skating schedule. Yeah, Tanya has a long history of making bad decisions. Yeah, and... Another point is that supports Tanya to some extent. Galuli later does change his claim. He says many years after that Tanya only knew of a plan to send threatening letters to Nancy. But here's my problem with that. If that was the case, why does she need her entire practice schedule? I mean, you don't need somebody's schedule to send them a letter. Right. You just need to know where she is. Right. So it's it, it, I just I still don't. And would Tanya really have spent two thousand dollars to have like these three guys who collectively probably can barely spell th anything threatening? Like they'd be like, you know, in crayon, <laughs> we gonna get you. <laughs> oh, it's like, like the magazine cut out one. Oh, yeah. I was thinking of like the Chick-fil-A things with the cows. Or chicken. Know? Yeah. <laughs> so. I don't think she would have spent $2,000 because, I mean, she could have actually just written a letter herself and, you know, um, traveled a little bit. Um, in 92, you could actually buy a car. So she could have traveled outside of her state to mail it if that was her concern or just given it to somebody else to have them mail it. You know, it's not like you need to spend $2,000. So... <clears throat> And given that they but were from the beginning, she's a scrapper. Like, oh yeah, and they're flat broke. I mean, she didn't get any endorsements from her first Olympics, so it's not like you know their net worth is like thirty three dollars. You know, <laughs> and that was after they got the ten grand. <laughs> so didn't she? She went on to be a fighter or something. About yeah, we'll talk about their aftermath of all of these guys too. Yeah. Uh oh. Yep. Um. So Tanya's basically. Also, in 18, she softens her stance slightly in an interview. She says that 
okay beforehand i knew something was up but i didn't know specifically what um so she still denies knowing that they were going to attack her um but she has at least now come out and said well i knew something was going on um but you know i i still i i I personally don't believe Tanya Harding. I, I believe either. she was. I yeah, yeah, I think she was yeah. fully aware of what was going on. Yeah, I think everybody, just about everybody, felt that way. Yeah. Her body yeah. language. Or, yeah. So let's talk about what happens to these clowns after this. The sentences, in my opinion, were way too light. Um, Galuli, in exchange for testimony, was given two years. Sean. Eckhart, Derek Smith, and Shane Stant were all respectively sentenced to 18 months. Um, the sentences were light due to a combination of the suspect's cooperation. But, you know, the problem that I have with that, Eckhart had broadcasted what they did. Like, he went around telling everybody. So they really didn't have a lot of options here but to cooperate. I mean, yeah. I mean, he told every stripper he could find. That was a nasty assault. It yeah, was. It that was. was too light of an But at uh, the end of the day, it really just wasn't assault, though. You know? Yeah. Right. The punishment. So, that. yeah, her injuries weren't that severe. She had significant bruising. Not physically, they weren't. Yeah. And this is the thing. I'd like to... Tell people, what was your fondest childhood dream? Perhaps you wanted to be a rock star or a Super Bowl winning quarterback or a president or a famous actress. All of us have childhood dreams of greatness that are seldom even close to being achieved. Because few of us have the natural strength and the dedication and the skills required to see those dreams through. Nancy Kerrigan had the strength. She had the dedication. She put in the long hours of practice. She was constantly pushing herself to compete at high levels. She has a chance to go and win the gold medal at the Olympics. And these people deliberately took that from her. And to me, that injury is significant. Yeah, I, very good point. I would agree, but unfortunately, our court system yeah. isn't set up to handle emotional trauma. Yeah, yeah. so... But I would have given these guys a lot more than 18 months. I, I think that's... Now, how did Kerrigan herself react to all this, David, after so, the fact? I mean, I think Nancy was... I mean, you know, because you have to maintain a PR kind of persona. It's really, I'm sure, in reality, she was furious. I mean, who wouldn't be, you know? I'm sure in reality, she does not forgive them, and she shouldn't. Um, but I think she has kind of said, well, I can forgive this, and you know, I can move on with my life, and I'm happy. We'll talk about how she does end up competing anyways. But, you know, um, but that's kind of in front of the camera. I've got to imagine, like, if somebody, like... If you were an NFL quarterback, you were about to get drafted and somebody put your hand in a vice and crushed it, right? You'd yeah. not forgive them. Right. So Literally I, I crushing mean, your dreams. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but, you know, she was... Um, I always wanted to be an actress. <laughs> Kerrigan um, could not compete in the qualifying tournament for the Olympics due to the injury. However, her fellow skaters... And fans petitioned the Olympic Committee and agreed she should be allowed to compete in the 94 Olympics, which she did. She would end up earning the silver medal. 
And she, um, you know, I mean, was very close to earning the gold. It was a very close score. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure that was a pity medal. It was like. <laughs> Yeah. Wow, Steve. Wow, Steve. I, he's still mad about that hundred grand I he know. lost. So <laughs> I'm But seriously, I, she's well, she's, you'd have to ask. What judge like, is gonna give her a bad score, right? Do you, do well, you think that I, the Olympics is that is that cheesy that they'd yes. be like giving out participation awards? They're they're gonna look bad if they don't give her a medal. So as far as I could tell, reading Guaranteed. about it. She performed very well. Now, I am not going to sit here and argue that I'm an expert in figure skating. The moment she got hit, she performed very well. (laughs) She got the host host SNL. I think she did pretty well. (laughs) So... Yes, <laughs> I think. Yeah, David. And what point are you going to cover the uh, benefits of the assault? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she got onto. She did get onto Saturday Night Live. That was actually a funny skit. Mm-hmm. So like, I have to see that. She's like, you know, you people can tell me, ask me about anything you want. Don't hold back. And everybody's like, you know, going to ask her about Tanya Smith. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, what do you think about Tanya? Jones. <laughs> <laughs> what clever. is an ice skate? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we shouldn't forget here. We fool around with Steve, but Steve is on skates. He's been on skates. Yeah, he plays, he plays hockey, hockey. So yeah. he might he might be a better judge of how good of figure skating performances. Yeah, I mean, I've heard he plays would. that way. Like okay, around. wait. Let me let me uh, Mike. Drop you but, guys here. Craig took figure skating. No kidding. You can tell. He still yes. got the figure. I yes. still have that. <laughs> <laughs> so, I want to take a picture of that. Craig, can you do a triple axel? <laughs> we're going to cut this part. No, we're not. So Craig's mom tricked him into it. She told him it was some kind of butch thing. And then when she put him in a leotard. <laughs> you were a leotard? Well, it was a butch oh. thing, but not butch in the way you thought. Well, <laughs> those arseholes told me they were putting me in power skating <laughs> prepare me for hockey in a tutu? it was figure skating but i'll say this i became a very good skater oh mm. so and is that, i'm very graceful is that where you hurt your uh, leg or knee there water skiing mm. so not figure skating no figure skiing can you do that axle thing <laughs> not anymore oh oh wow back in the day <laughs> so um <laughs> Again, I, I'm not going to say uh, anything about her performance. Um, you could actually ask Christina because I'm sure Christina watched yeah, it. And Christina was really into figure skating. Yeah. She liked. So, uh, so was mom. Yeah. yeah so I don't like. You know, I have no idea how they scored. Like, I could watch these and be like, yeah, that's all stuff I couldn't do. Like, I can't do it the triple awesome. axle. Yeah. I mean, I can do the single face plant with, like, the triple <laughs> concussion. But about other than that, I really can't do any tricks with uh, ice skates. In fact, I can't even stay upright. So, um, yeah. Well, as one hockey player said to the other, let's get the puck out of here. Yeah. So, Why anyways. don't you puck off? Yeah. Um, Suck the puck. So, um, Harding's life, 
Let's talk about what ended up happening to these guys after. Um, Harding was convicted of the attack but not participating in it, and she was sentenced to probation. She was actually allowed to compete in the 94 Olympics. I've actually got to skate twice. Um, probably a pity skate. Like. Another <laughs> the but she didn't get a medal. She got shoelace. Yeah, she didn't, <laughs> she didn't get a medal for no. points, Steve. Because yeah. she was the bad girl. So. Yeah. She's the bad girl. She broke her shoelace. She broke her she shoelace, yeah. She put her foot up on the thing in front of the judges. Yeah. And she was allowed to reskate, yeah. So... Um, then she came in, I think, eighth, if I remember right. Um, but in the following year, the Olympic Committee and the U.S. Figure Skating Committee held a he uh, hearing before an arbitrator. The arbitrator decided that there was substantial evidence that Tanya participated in the planning of the attack, and she was therefore stripped of all medals, um, Olympic and U.S., that she had previously earned. And received a lifetime ban from the skating did the olympics need like ratings because this sounds like like a <laughs> stupid plot right to get people to watch the olympics mm. um comedy. yeah i don't I, I don't know i i mean i've never <laughs> been a huge watcher of the olympics Me like either. i mean you know maybe if they put football in it i'd watch Cheerleading is going to be in it. I, that's that's true. Yeah. So, um, do they have a triple axel in cheerleading? They have some crazy ass shit in cheerleading. Yeah. yeah. So blow your mind. And in the movie, she asked them to that she, if she could go to jail instead of banning her. Yes, I think she that's says true. like this yeah. is the ultimate punishment. I'll go to jail for however long you want me to, but don't ban me from ever skating again. Like this is the one thing I've got. Can she teach? She did teach, oh. actually, mm -hmm. and she um, boxed. In yeah. fact, she beat up Paula Jones yeah. um, on Celebrity Boxing. Um, but, I mean, she also made some appearances on some various weird reality shows that were very <laughs> low budget. Um, but for the most part, she really did not uh, ever make it in public life anymore. She ends up marrying um, her husband, uh, who's still her husband today. Um, his last name is Price. I forget his first name. I have it somewhere. But is it a good? Is he was he a decent guy? Is he a good good guy? Apparently, according a to her, yeah. yeah um, according to her, she's he's a good guy. They have one child. Um, I believe the child's name was Gordon and. You know, she basically lives kind of an obscure life up in, you know, the Portland area. Yeah, middle of nowhere, I think. Yeah. That's so. what I saw in the article. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, is... I do think she did it. I just think that she had a lot of um, backstory. Like when they're talking about um, why somebody does something or what somebody's life, you should be taking into who this person, like not only what they did, but mm -hmm. this happens a lot with, um, uh, you know, people of different crimes. You have to take an account what led them to this place yeah you know well how did they get here yeah, grace is a snowflake i am a snowflake yeah, what I took think, them to get here you know yeah i think um i mean look at nancy kerrigan's brother he got convicted of killing true. his father and only got like six months and he was convicted well, i had no idea about no, that, that was true. yeah yeah that's true yeah so maybe the brother paid the guy to maybe the brother killed their dad yeah. That's serious shit, right there. He didn't do it on purpose. It was like an involuntary manslaughter thing that they talked down to assault and battery. Mm. But like, he, he uh, killed him. You're supposed to use a microphone. Yeah. 
But this happens, and you know they take into yeah. consideration the circumstances, and sure. I think that's why oh. their sentences were a little lighter than normal. <laughs> this was a sex because she had a shitty life. Oh, well, I could see giving her a lighter sentence, not the but other guys, not the other people. Yeah, I mean, I I don't see giving them. To, to be honest with you, I would have probably given them all at least ten years. I yeah. mean, I, that's I, a lot of years. Yeah, you get, what they did was a horrible thing. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, I so. totally get what Grace is saying in her point, and I yeah. feel that in my heart. But like, I mean, even Truman Capote's in True Blood, where she did try to tell their the murderer's side of the story and some of their woes and challenges, they still did it. You know what I mean? It's like, not a license. Yeah, yeah it's I not feel a license sorry to kill. For, but she didn't kill, though. I mean, but we're, it's not a license to commit a crime. Yeah, against yeah. somebody else. I yeah. mean, unfortunately. One thing I've actually learned from coaching cheerleading is everybody has bullshit and backstory. Mm -hmm. yeah. Everybody does. To what degree is different, right? But everybody has something that they're wrestling with and dealing with. It doesn't make it okay for you to yeah. ruin this woman's... Yeah, yeah, but putting her in jail, what does that cause? Like putting her in a rehab facility or putting her in the different things that would cause her to be a better person. I'm not saying she should get away scot-free, but there's other things than putting her in jail that will actually contribute to society. Yeah. So you know? she never even went to jail either. Right, so, she does. Right, yeah. right, the other guys, um, I mean... The other guys do, and yeah. I don't... I, yeah, to me, the other guys, it's about punishment. I mean, you did something that deserves punishment mm -hmm. and period and um you know tanya harding i sympathize with her but you know she was victimized by a lot of people but nancy kerrigan was not one of them so yeah exactly. you know if she had broken right. her mother's leg with a collapsible baton <laughs> i would have <laughs> said totally. okay you know we understand this <laughs> yeah or glulies but you know you can't just she doesn't as jill said she doesn't have a license to no. do this and no. you know it's um um, so let's talk about what happened to the other idiots. Um, so after getting out of prison, Jeff Galuli will change his name to Jeffrey Stone. He filed for bankruptcy in 96. But then he remembered that he and Tanya, while they were married, used to record their sex. Yeah. yeah. Oh, this no. is what I wanted to know. Let's he just he was, so he goes to Penthouse and he actually sold... A tape that of him and Tanya having sex um, and made four hundred thousand dollars, of which Tanya did eventually get some of the money. Are you too. jealous? Four hundred thousand, yeah, not one hundred thousand. Yeah. Steve, how much for your well, sex tape? Uh, <laughs> Twenty thousand. <laughs> your pricing structure is weird. <laughs> Honey, just so you know, that's not in our budget. <laughs> he lived in Oregon. He remarried twice. His second wife repeatedly filed domestic abuse claims, divorces him in 2001, and then some time after died of suicide. Now he's still married to his third wife. Um, Shane Eckhart changed his, uh, Sean Eckhart rather, changed his name to Brian Sean Griffin and lived in obscurity in Oregon until he died in 2017, uh, uh, 2007 rather, um, of natural causes. He was 40 years old when he died. So, How is that natural? Because he's probably, because he's like 500 yeah. pounds. <laughs> so, he's not. They so never, naturally he died. Yeah. <laughs> well, your heart gives out after a while. I mean, you can't be that big and... You know, he was yeah. seriously that big. He was really. Like, yeah. Check him out. Yeah. yeah I don't know 500 pounds, but he was pretty big. Yeah. Was he the he guy was... that hit hit his head through the glass? No, that nope. was oh. Shane Stant. Oh. This is the guy that was in the CIA. Oh, okay. The stripper guy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Stripper guy. Shane Stant um, and Eric Smith end up living a, 
mostly obscurity. Stanton, 2005, though, comes back into the public eye because he wants to get his record expunged, um, but a judge refused. Um, he ends up working as a market for a marketing firm, and he's just kind of living quietly in his own little world there. Um, he is one of the few people that really did make any type of sincere type of apology to Nancy Kerrigan. Was um, he the one that hit her, David? Yes. Yeah, even okay. though I think, sorry, <coughs> just doesn't mean anything, but um, he at least, because none of the rest of them really ever made any type of sincere apologies. They're just like, yeah, the judge says I have to say sorry to you, so... Sorry, bitch. Kind of. <laughs> Sorry, bitch. I mean, that's really how they kind of acted, though. I mean, you know, um, they're sorry they got caught. <coughs> you know. <laughs> Derek Smith uh, moves to Montana, and he lives in obscurity. Um, not really much is even known other than he's living in Montana in the middle of nowhere, kind of almost like those people that um, were in Ruby Ridge. Like he's just off the grid. Off the grid, yeah. You know, kind of guy. Um, yeah, so, and Nancy Kerrigan, of course, um, as we mentioned, she did earn the silver. Um, that was the last time she competed in the Olympics. She went on. <coughs> You know, to have somewhat, though, of a still public life, she's done various acting, singing. I've um, seen her in a commercials just She's recently. done commercials, yeah. Um, you know, she's not, like, the most known celebrity, but she certainly um, has had some success. And, you know, if you talk about sports heroes, I mean, we oh. measure <laughs> sports heroes <laughs> by... Steve does not agree with you right there. How on earth is she heroic? <laughs> I think we oh measure sports heroes by the fact that they overcome adversity, and she oh, certainly please. did. <laughs> so, this is the most aggressive Nancy Kerrigan <laughs> hater on the planet. Oh, she yeah. is no oh. idea. I think that they, that they refer to a lot of like professional athletes as sports heroes yeah. because they're somebody else's yeah. hero. Even if they don't rescue any babies yeah, from right. burning buildings or anything like, like that. Like Tom yeah. Brady's like a sports yeah, hero. Yeah, sports hero is somebody not like who. A hero. Yeah, hero. not like. She's not like. Yeah, she's, she's not, not Batman. Superman, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I admire Kerrigan more than Tom Brady. To be honest with you, there you go, Steve. I mean, she spent years, like you said earlier, years honing those skills and working a, hard. A guy who comes back from beating cancer is more heroic than Tanya. I mean, Nancy Kerrigan. Well, but not, not, a not a sports hero. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, cancer a cancer than, hero. Uh, right. That, she did nothing heroic. Right. <laughs> it's it, the the Your theory of. Sports hero is Send her a note to listen to this. <laughs> so, you know, when we call people here, like, we say Tom Brady's a sports hero because he was drafted in the sixth round and still ended up becoming one and of the greatest. I don't say that. He's a <laughs> So, I don't think anybody is a sports hero, but some people do. You know. Well, that's Michael true, Jordan, but he was still the greatest say. quarterback of all time. True. Regardless. And people say that makes him a sports hero because he was drafted in the sixth round and he became the greatest of all time. So, chubby he was. And that's, you're angry well, today. Was, was Muhammad Ali a sports hero? I don't know. I wasn't oh. alive. <laughs> most most people aren't this mad at Nancy Kerrigan like you. Are. I'm not mad. I She's just like don't. this nice lady who got hit with, 
Yeah. yeah. Well, I think she did o- overcome the great adversity. And she did. Yeah. She, you know. I think she benefited from it, too. <laughs> well, she was exploiting the whole situation. <laughs> she got some money that out of it, guys. explains the ad. I, she, Nancy she was Kerrigan ad spent Bataran's. the $2,000. The, the only reason she has an acting thing or a commercial thing or any money now is from that incident. I don't know because I think, I think before so because that she was still physi- a household uh, figure name. Figure skaters aren't, you know. Yeah. Well, but they she was a away. she was a household name though. I would say. Not I would a, say not most. Before the incident. Not no. at Steve's house. <laughs> I would say most people who followed the Olympics had heard of Nancy <laughs> Kerrigan and Tanya Harding. She was well, a dartboard. And, and to Steve's <laughs> point, a lot of people that I t- I've had had um like run-ins with her she is arrogant yes yeah, yeah. well she I, comes off very... with a sense of like it, at her brother's trial one of my friends was working the court that day and she didn't even want to go through the metal detector because don't you know who i am i would never hurt anybody like just go through the metal detector you're nobody special mm. yeah but i mean most athletes mo- most people who get really good at something if you learn about what they are like as individuals yeah. A lot of them it's are a narcissistic personality. You know, it's true. It's, it's you know, it's <clears throat> not just a nice lady. You, She's a lady who, you know. Yeah. How do you actually focus and practice constantly and constantly? Like, how do you be Bill Belichick without being a bit Machiavellian? I mean, right. that's true. It's uh, I, I mean, can still hate on her. Though. Yeah, but I'm you, just saying yes, that we can. measure yes, sports but, heroes but you're, based on you're, based you're on making, what they do on their sport. But you're portraying her as this like goddess. Can't touch no, her. No, no. <laughs> they do call her the Virgin Kerrigan. That's why I did Ice Queen because I think it's a very controversial thing. Half the people hate her, half the people love her. Like Thank she's. Well, and nobody she's got really this knows relationship. <laughs> I'm not agreeing with Steve, but that's the yes, that's why are. I chose the drink because she has a very uh, 50-50. You the lover or hater? That's mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I guess I, we know where Steve I, sits. <laughs> I respect. Right I respect her. She she was severely injured before yeah. the the Olympics, and she was able to overcome. And nobody it. deserves and, that. Yeah. Nobody deserves being cut out for no reason. Yeah. I, yeah. I hands I down mean, agree. Yeah. I mean, we're not talking about somebody who injured themselves during you know practice because they slept. You know, yeah. so I mean, you know, but we oftentimes say this person's a hero. He came back from a broken ACL and this quickly. You know, or things like that. So he's still trying to justify the hero thing. <laughs> it's Can't a word hero. <laughs> yeah, I like always a word. <laughs> like. Yeah, well, I I get that, but that's kind of the term people use: right. sports heroes. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's not. Yeah. All right, wait, but what's coming up next? Yes, I'm doing the uh, the nun Catherine Sisnek. You're not telling us your priest in the nun joke. Murdered in <laughs> uh, in Baltimore. Do I have any sound here? Oh. Yes. yes. That's why you use the microphone. Okay. Yeah, you took off your headphones, though. So. Ah, that's what it is. <laughs> hey. <laughs> All right. So. <laughs> it's been an interesting episode, guys. Sure so, yeah. Um, she was trying to defend her the students at her school from a pedophile ring that involved priests and cops and so uh this should be an uplifting story what do you say he said he's excited mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, gonna i'm gonna let you know something she was a hero 
<laughs> anyway, it's, it's a real uh, contrast of good and evil. This person, this nun was, in my mind, very, very good person. And they, they murdered her and put her in a dump, her body in a dump. Oh, that's How's that bad. for a statement? So anyway, that's mine, but it, okay? Yes, it's okay. You can go now. <laughs> It's very important date. <laughs> gotta get out of here. You gotta tell me when this is gonna happen. Uh, at some point. See you Tell next the, time. Yeah, I think we put it out. I think it's in the text. Can but I, I see you next time, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to us on this episode of Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crime. Be sure to subscribe in your favorite app so you don't miss an episode. You can also send us an email to cocktails, mocktails, and crime at gmail.com. Or follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crime. Or Twitter at CM Crime One. See you all next week.